Peter, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Tonight's scripture reading will be from Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and you'll say thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good evening. It's good to be back up here with you from the platform this week. Uh, it was just such a tremendous joy to be able to worship with you Last week is Pastor David, uh, the senior pastor here at Dawson, joined us for Oxano last week. And if you weren't here, if you didn't have a chance to hear his message, gosh, I'd encourage you. Go back, Oxano Podcast, you can find it on Spotify, a couple of other places too. Jacob Lindsay can tell us where later, but like, go back, the secret of contentment especially in this particular season, I think is just, it's a word for us. It ministered greatly to me. But I, I'm so glad to be back up here with you all this week. And thank you, Brooke, for reading our scripture so beautifully. And Kara, thank you so much for leading us in that prayer time. Goodness, thank you, Lord. It's, you know, it, as a team for us, as we were preparing for this service, it's an important day in the life of our country. It's not all important, but it's important. And so we wanted to be able to carve out a little bit more of our service time for us to be able to come together and for us to be able to unite our hearts in prayer. But as we come tonight, uh, as we continue on in our series, Cow Tipping, Tearing Down Idols, uh, we started it two weeks ago. We're, in Cow Tipping, we're playing on this imagery, right? Exodus 32, the people of Israel made a golden calf, started mixing pagan worship with worshiping God. They made these idols, in the place of the Lord to be able to worship. And the thing about it is, it's not just something that happened way back then. It's not just something that happened in the ancient Near East with the nation of Israel, but it's something that happens with each of us individually, that there are these idols that we set up in our own lives. And so we kind of talked about idols in general two weeks ago, and tonight and over the course of the next three weeks before we're done with the semester, which is crazy that it's going that quick, y'all. We have three more of these, I mean, two more in addition to tonight, but we're going to be talking about the major idols that are prevalent in Scripture and that I, as I've been ministering to college students going almost 10 years now, being able to see crop up again and again and ones that I see in my own life. And so I have a confession to make at the beginning. The particular idol, the particular topic that we're going to be talking about tonight, as I was preparing, I was just extremely convicted because in my almost 10 years of ministry, I have never spoken about in any lengthy way, taught on, preached about money. And it was convicting for me as I was going back through and as I was coming to talk with us tonight about this particular idol. And it's hard for me, and I think it's hard because I've seen a lot of people do it really poorly, right? Uh, I've also, I think, seen, you know, in kind of like a wanting to control how others perceive me kind of way. Others being like, oh yeah, preacher, we'll be talking about money. 
right, giving, right? It's in their own self-interest for you to talk about giving, right? But you see, I've been increasingly convicted because money is a big deal in the Bible. It's significant in the life, in the ministry, the teaching of Jesus. I mean, Jesus, he talked about it all the time. He talked about money more than heaven. He talked about money more than hell. Of all of the parables, a third of all the parables have to do with money, our attitude, our relationship with money. It's a major theme through the whole Gospel of Luke. You can't practically flip a page through the Gospel of Luke without running into the topic of money somewhere. You see, Jesus talks so much about money because it has the capability to be a great blessing and a great way to be able to bless others in your life, but it also has the capability to be one of the one of the most sneaky and respectable idols that you can have in your life. And as Jesus, he's talking about this, and this as we're in this series on idols, the idol we come to tonight is the idol of money. And we talk about an idol, it can it's not just you know, bad things that we could talk about. It's not just graven images, little statues, this, that, and the other. But an idol isn't just something out there, but an idol is something in here. It's something that we set up in our hearts. An idol is anything that you love, trust, or obey more than God. An idol is anything that you love, trust, or obey more than God. And so we can make anything an idol, but one of the things that we more often than not make an idol is money. And so we see in the, the idolatry of the heart and the way that we can make money an idol in our heart, as Brooke has already read for us. Let's turn again to Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. This is what Jesus says. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, right here where you can see, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up, rather, for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he skips a couple of verses to verse 24. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That what Jesus is doing in this section of the Sermon on the Mount right here is he is drawing these parallel realities. That we, as humans created in the image of God, within our hearts, we have the capability to treasure things. And this is a good gift. It's a way that we have been created by God. We have the capability of treasuring certain things. And in that image is the way it was originally designed is that we were created to treasure God above all. We were supposed to be in the garden working and keeping things in their right priority. But above all, we were supposed to treasure. We were supposed to love. We were supposed to value. We were supposed to work for, give our lives in service to God. But as a result of the fall, now that has been turned back on ourselves. And we set up these idols all around that end up looking like us and serving our own interests. And so this is what Jesus is talking about. You lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. It's, it's fading. 
is decaying. It's impermanent. And where thieves can break in and steal, like, there is no security. It's just as easily it was given to you, as easily it can be taken away. It can be lost. Some of you remember what it was like when your parents were going through the financial crisis in 08. Some of you have, are feeling the continued effects earlier this year with the mass unemployment rates and things that are going on that we see that there is no permanence in this arena of life that we can sometimes be lulled into thinking that these riches, these things that we can see, that these are the things that are permanent, these are the things that are lasting, these are the things that will give us the security that we need that will help us to sleep at night, but it's not a safe place. It's not a safe place for a heart. It's not a safe place to lay up treasures, but instead we are to put up treasure in heaven. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And Jesus, he is explicit at the end in verse 24. He says that you cannot serve God and money. The two don't mix. You will either hate the one and love the other, serve one and despise the other. You have to pick who it is you're going to serve. So idols, they're not just something that's out there, but it's something that's in here. And what we treasure, what we supremely value, what we work tirelessly for, what consumes our thoughts, what we give our lives to. And we can do this either towards the Lord or we can do this towards money. Well, what does it look like to live in service of money? Uh, we, you, you look in the language of the New Testament right there, in the Hebrew bringing over a little bit, the word is called mammon. You can't serve both God and mammon. What does it look like to serve mammon? What does it look like to serve money? Well, you know, we are now in November. Uh, Halloween is over. And some of you uh, have already begun listening to what? Christmas music. That was easy. That's the most response I've gotten in a sermon in a while. Right? You, know, you are going through and you are now in Christmas music season. Right? You're going through, you're starting to listen to all of this, and you've got uh, Magic 96.5, I guess they're playing music right now or something like that. They used to back in the day, playing it nonstop. you got the Spotify playlist, you're like putting the Netflix campfire TV screen on your, in your dorm room, and you get the hot cocoa and everything like that, and you are tricking yourself into thinking that it is closer to Christmas than it actually is. But like in the true Christmas spirit, Thomas, my eldest son, he is just loving the fact that his birthday is this Saturday and then Christmas is coming up and it's just like presents on presents, right? And so he is just so excited. And as we're getting closer and closer to Christmas, you know, we're starting to, this is like really the first year that he's really connecting a lot of the dots where he's really starting to be able to get to be in the know. And so we're going through and we're like going to be, because not yet, we're not crazy, but we're introducing him into a lot of the things that surround Christmas. One of those being just the great stories that surround Christmas. And a lot of the great movies, like movies that Beck and I grew up with, movies that like his grandparents grew up watching, his great-grands, all this, that, and the other. But one of the things that is enduring and has taken on so many different adaptations has been Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, right? And you know Ebenezer Scrooge. You know Bah Humbug, right? You know Tiny Tim, God bless us, everyone. You know, all of that that's going on in A Christmas Carol. Oh, okay, so yeah, we already got the, you like the ridiculous picture I found. That we have Ebenezer Scrooge right at the very beginning of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. This miserly, elderly figure who is slavishly working away. And has Bob Cratchit there in the house, and he is not letting him go home be with his family. And that he is going and get. But then what happens? 
before he starts going on with all of the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. His old business partner comes. Marley. Marley. Jacob Marley comes up. And listen to the way that Charles Dickens describes John, Jacob Marley as you see him on the screen. Marley in his pigtail, usual waistcoat, tights and boots, the tassels on the ladder bristling like his pigtail and his coat skirts and the hair upon his head and the chain he drew was clasped around his middle. It was long and wound about him like a tail and it was made, for Scrooge observed it closely, of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, Deeds and heavy purses wrought in steel. You're fettered, Scrooge said, trembling. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life, said the ghost. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I girded it of my own will and of my own will I wore it. You see Jacob Marley right here in the chains that he's wearing. It's not just links, but it's the cash boxes, the ledgers, the deeds. And what Charles Dickens is trying to show for us in this dramatic fashion is that Jacob Marley was chained to these in life and they only became visible in his death. You see, money is a harsh taskmaster who is never satisfied and money can easily become a God that we serve. You see, money, it can become a God because like if we look back a little bit to two weeks ago, idols aren't just something out there but something in here. Idols, they make promises to us. But you see, the thing about these idols is, is they can't keep them. Idols, they make these promises and they can't keep them. So really what they're doing is idols lie to us. Idols lie to us. So what are some of the lies that money in particular tells to us? Well, you see, you're like, does money really lie to us? I mean, I know I've heard money talks, right? But money lies? We go through and we look at Jesus in the parable of the sower and the seed, right? The four types of soil. Some along the path, some in the shallow soil. Some in the thorny soil and then some in the good soil. That third type of soil, the thorny soil, where the word is planted, the seed is planted and it grows up and the thorns and the thistles grow up alongside it and they choke it out. What does Jesus say is the thorn and the thistles that choke out the word? He says it's the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. That riches are deceitful. They are lying to us. What are some of the promises that money makes to us? What are some of the lies that money tells I will take care of you. I got you. I'll put food on your table. I'll put a roof over your head. A fat retirement account for you to be able to draw on. Maybe even get there a bit early. A full driveway. A whole fleet. Maybe even a boat thrown in. All the clothes you could want. All the jewelry on your dresser. I'll take care of you. Money will also promise, I can elevate you. I can lift you up. I can give you what you want. You'll get the respect. You'll get the envious looks from others. You'll have the say-so. You'll have weight to throw around. You'll be in the room where it happens. You'll be able to make some of the decisions. You'll get the invites. 
won't be passed over. You'll be able to get past the velvet ropes. That significant other might notice you. I'll be able to elevate you. I'll be able to give you what you want. Money lies and tells us that I will last forever. You can count on me. I'm not going anywhere. It's like one of my favorite characters in Parks and Recreation. Anybody seen Parks and Recreation? You see that Tom Haverford. Oh my goodness. Love Tom. He's great. But it's like the episode where Ben and Leslie, if you haven't seen it, you can go watch it over Christmas break. But like Ben and Leslie, they're getting married and they're going, uh, they're registering for all of their stuff for their wedding and they bring Tom with them. And then they're like just so overwhelmed. And this is what Tom coaching Ben and Leslie says. They're like just despondent at like how much they have to do. And he says, cheer up little pups. Registering for your wedding is the most important day of your life. Love? Love fades away. But things? Things are forever. Like I could just hear Tom saying that. But like as part of the lie that money tells us. The this, this stuff that we can purchase with money that I am lasting. I'm forever. I'm enduring. I'm not fading. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here to stay. And this is the last lie that money tells us. Just a little more will be enough. Just a little more. That's all you need. Like, I mean, it's simple. Input, output. Income and expenses. Bring this in, cut this out. And when you get this much, you'll be happy. When you finally get to this figure, when you finally get to this salary, when this much is accrued in your bank account, when you have this much in retirement, when you have this much invested, when your stock prices hit this, then, then, then you'll be happy. But you see, these lies, they blind us. Because money talks, and when it talks, it lies. It deceives us. It's like Tim Keller, the Presbyterian pastor in New York, I quote so much. He says, when money takes hold of your heart, it blinds you to what is happening. It controls you through your anxieties and lusts, and it brings you to put it ahead of all other things. You will either serve God or you will serve money. And we see this in a concentrated way in the person of Judas Iscariot, don't we? That we see Judas having the choice, serving God or serving money. He was the treasurer. He was the keeper of the money bag with the disciples. And what does he do? He betrays the Son of Man into the hands of the Jews for what? 30 pieces of silver. That in this moment we see he has the choice to serve God or to serve money. And he chose money. And we see it in a heightened way here. But we all have this choice before us. And some of you are like, Blake, I'm a broke college student, man. <laughs> like, I'm a broke grad student. I just have got like an entry level position right out of school. Like I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't idolize money. It's not a problem in my life. But you see, this is one of those things. I hope you don't check out on me. Because this is not just for someone else to hear. This is not just for you maybe to file away and come back to later. You don't have to have money to idolize it. You don't have to already have it in your account. You don't already have to have the fat stacks of cash to lust after them time and time again. You see, what are we to do with this idol? Well, it's the same thing we said two weeks ago. You have to ID the idol. You have to tear it down. And then you have to replace it. 
You have to ID the idol. You have to tear it down, and then you have to replace it. So how do we ID this idol? You just need to realize that you are susceptible to it, even without having it a lot. That if you are looking at it in love, you love it, you are trusting in it, or in the prospect of having it, and you are obeying it, you are doing whatever it takes to be able to get more of it, you have to see what impulses are there, what drives your decision making, why are you pursuing what it is that you are pursuing? You have to identify the idol, the fact that it's there, and that it could be in your heart. But then what are we to do? We're to tear it down, and we talked about two weeks ago that you have to either tear it down in the presence of your life, or the prominence of your, in, the, in your life. There are some idols that we can take out. That we can remove completely. Cold turkey. Get it out of there. But there are others that we can't. Right? Some of you can idolize school. But you're not just going to drop out tomorrow. Right? But you might not be able to remove the presence of the idol in your life. But you can remove the prominence of the idol in your life. And then the same thing with money. I'm not saying that you've just got to go back to like trade and barter system and everything like that, right? That you can no longer use money and it's like, yes, corn shortage taught, it's told you, like all this other kind of stuff. That you right here are not having to do that. But what you can do is you can remove the prominence of it in your life. Because you see, the thing about it is, the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. 1 Timothy 6.10 that we'll look at in just a few moments, that it says the love of money is the root of all evil. It's all in how we use it. And so after we identify it, after we tear it down, then we must replace it. Because if we just remove the prominence of money in our lives and we don't replace it with anything else, it will just grow back. You cannot serve God in money. So serve the one who can keep promises and who speaks the truth. Because you see, all of the lies that money tells, Jesus speaks a word of truth. Where money says that I will take care of you, Jesus says, I will take care of you. Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Money says, I will elevate you, but Jesus says, I will elevate you. Humble yourselves, 1 Peter 5, therefore under God's mighty hand, that I may lift you up in due time. Money says that I'm lasting and forever, but Jesus truly is the one who is lasting and forever. Romans 6, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Again, death no longer has dominion over him. Money says, I can give you what you want. But Jesus, Psalm 103, he is the one who satisfies your desires with good things so that you don't have to go looking for counterfeits. You don't have to go looking other places. Money says, I am enough. Or you will only be able to chase after what you When you get that much, then you will be happy. But Jesus says that I am enough. Where he says... His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge who called us by his own glory and goodness. Turn from trusting money to trusting Jesus, the one who makes promises and the only one who can keep them. We have to ask ourselves... What, what does a life that serves the Lord and doesn't serve money, what does this even look like? Some of you are like, I mean, that sounds great. I mean, I, okay, I've identified it. I need to tear it down. I need to replace it. But I mean, what does that actually look like? How am I supposed to relate to money? Well, I think we have to be able to realize, okay, 
Are we someone, am I someone, who loves God and who loves other people and use money to do so? Am I someone who loves God and loves others and I can use money to do so? Or am I someone who loves money and I will use God and use others to do so? What do you love and what will you use? What is an object of your worship and what is a tool? And that right here we have to be able to see, is this something, money, is it something to love or is it something to use? But we have to be able to see, we, a life that does this well, that relates well to money, is someone who stewards in simplicity. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 6, this is the Apostle Paul writing to his protege in ministry, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. I love the way that John Piper says there are no U-Hauls behind hearses. Right? But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, this craving for more, this craving for riches, that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness and godliness, faith and love and steadfastness and gentleness. We have to see, like, is money, we have to ask ourselves, is money something to be desired? Or is it actually something to be wary of? What, what is our relationship to money? You know, it was, uh, I think it was around this time last year, back when Becca and I would still go to the movies a lot. Um, we, we love going to the movies. And there was a new movie theater that opened up here in town. And we were like going to go break it in. Like we were going to go over there. We were going to find uh, a movie. And it was you know, getting closest to Christmas time. And it was Becca's turn to be able to pick the movie that we went to go see. And she picked to go see Little Women. Right? And I was like, oh my gosh. Um, I was not pumped, to say the least. She had tried to get me to watch like the Winona Ryder 90s version of it. And like some of you are throwing your heads back in laughter right now. I mean, it's just, uh, it was, oh my goodness. I couldn't hardly make it through. So we go there and, you know, we get the popcorn. And I, I get an icy, you know, I go through it. I was like, I can be able to enjoy this somehow. And so like we go in there and we come out. And I tell you, that movie was good. That movie, it made me walk out of there and I was like, I hope the Lord blesses me with a slew of daughters, strong young women. And I have two boys. But it's one of those things like, I was just, man, this is so, so good. Louise May she's going through and she's talking this. And Becca, she was, I was talking with her about the sermon tonight. And I was like, you know, I'm just, I would, would love some help. And she said, Blay, I mean, you remember Little Women? It's, I mean, I know you didn't read the book. But like, let me, let me point your attention to something that Marmy says, the, the mother figure in the book. It's, this is what she says. Money is a needful and precious thing. And when well used, a noble thing. But this is her talking to her daughters. I never want you to think it is the first or only prize to strive for. I'd rather see you poor men's wives if you were happy, beloved, contented than queens on thrones without self-respect and peace. 
that when we have this right relationship with money, that we can use it as a tool to love God and to serve other people. And if we don't see it as an end in and of itself, where we can gather it together, we can just accumulate, focus on getting more and more, but we can see it for what it truly is. That's what a life well lived in relating to money looks like. Well, this is also what it looks like to love God and to love others. We give generously to those who are in need. Because you have to think through this, like, is this money? Is this mine? Or is this the Lord's? Because some of us, like, when we think, oh, well, this money's mine. Like, I earned it. Like, I got this job. I, I sweated over there. I came up with this idea. I got that promotion. I got the degree. I did everything that put it. If this is my money, then it's a whole lot easier to justify keeping it and hoarding it for yourself. But if it's the Lord's money, who empowered you and opened the door, made you be able to walk through those, like giving you the abilities to be able to go there, to think, to act, to progress, to do this, that, and the other, then we don't get to determine what it is we do with it all the time. That we can live open-handed instead of with clenched fists. Like I still remember it was a small group that Becca and I were in a few years ago back at our church in Georgia that we were a part of and there was a couple in there called the Latimers. Eric and Chelsea, they'd only been married for a couple of years, but I was so blown away by the way that they structured their budget. We were talking about uh, something unrelated, and uh, the subject of tithing came up, and Eric was actually saying, you know, he wasn't saying this in like a humble brag way, but he was talking about how they have a line item in their budget where they set aside money every month over and above what they give to the church for them to be able to be generous and to love other people well. That that wasn't an afterthought. That wasn't just something that like, oh, we'll take it on case. But like they were actively setting aside, creating the space, and having eyes for people, and how they could use money to love and serve their neighbor, and by extension, love and serve their God. This is what it looks like to give generously, to live with open hands instead of clenched fists. And then lastly, having the right relationship with money and using it in your walk with Christ is to give generously to the church. Yes, I could be accused of acting in my own self-interest for encouraging people to give to the church, but I'm, I'm willing to risk that. And for us here in the New Testament era, as the Holy Spirit is empowering us, people are like, well, do I need to tithe? And it's like, well, you know, the 10%, right? That was what I was taught growing up, starting from an early age, 10% of everything. Like, people come in and ask, do I have to give 10%? I was like, no, you don't have to give 10%. But for us in this day and age, I think a lot of times we see 10% as the ceiling, when really 10% is the floor. That for us to be able to give with generous hearts, God-loving, a cheerful giver, that we will give to the work of God in the local context. And we give offerings over and above. But we have been given money to steward. And a way that we can use that money is to show others that it is not our God. That we do not serve this. It was um, this past week... I was walking down the hallway. I see girls meeting with Kara all the time. I absolutely love it. Uh, being able to see her office is way, you know, more uh, 
clean than mine and all that kind of stuff. And just has this comfy couch in there and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, people are nodding their heads. They're like, yeah, and then they see my office and it's like a crazy person works in there. But there, uh, there was someone in there meeting with her this past week and got done meeting. And Kara said, that was such an encouraging conversation. And probably the first time that I've ever had a college student come with an offering envelope and be able to ask, I don't have a lot of money, but how can I faithfully give to my church with what little I have? And I heard that, I'm like, that person gets it. You don't have to wait until you have accumulated so much, you've reached a certain threshold to be generous with your money and to be able to give to God's work in the church. But that we can here and now give. Because I'll tell you this. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. But you in your giving need to know that money is a poor God. And you can use and relate to money in such a way. Where you can show others and you can reinforce for yourself. That money is not your God. Let us pray. I found this prayer that I'm going to read for us and allow it to be the conclusion of our time together. Heavenly Father, give me neither poverty poverty nor riches, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane your name. Give me just enough, Lord, to nourish my family, to pay my debts and to fulfill my obligations, to keep my promises, to invest in your work according to your will and supply all of my needs in accordance with the riches of Christ Jesus. If you should say no and give me poverty, grant me contentment and purest hope and a deeply settled resolution to the sufficiency of your grace. If you should say no and give me riches, lead me not into temptation but deliver me from evil and do not give me more than I can bear in service to your kingdom. If you send increase of my riches, send increase of my capacity for generosity and discipline me from greed, covetousness, miserliness, and inhospitableness. Lord, grant me some of my material wants, but not too many. Not one more than would distract my joy and treasure from you. If that be none of my wants or all of them, I pray your will be done, even if my will turn out a disappointment to my heirs. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you want more information on the songs that we sing at Oxano, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.